You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the price of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Good afternoon. My name is Adam. I'm the other pastor. Uh, I guess I'm also the other Adam. And adding to what Adam Foster said earlier, uh, if you find yourself in a season of life where you'd like a break from serving in church or changing how you serve, please do come and speak to me. I'd love to help you work through that or if you want to speak to uh, your department leader as a place to start. Uh, congratulations to Jed and Al. I think they've kind of disappeared up the back somewhere, but uh, welcome to their visitors. Great to have you along today. Uh, hopefully you've gathered. We're working through the book of John uh, from the New Testament and I hope what I have to say is helpful for you today. Uh, as we come to think about this passage, let's pray and ask that God would be with us. Father God, we thank you for these words of Jesus that he spoke in the, the upper room on his last night with his disciples. Uh, we pray that you would uh, speak to us by your spirit so that we can know Jesus better. Amen. I uh, should say also that if you go to the welcome card on our website, you'll be able to find a copy of the outline for today's sermon, if you find that sort of thing helpful. If you don't, you can just listen along, that's fine. It's a good thing he left. We could say that about lots of situations. Uh, you're on the tram late at night, a guy gets on, he's had a little bit too much to drink, he's yelling and swearing at people after a couple of stops. He gets off, we've all been there, we think, it's a good thing he left. Uh, maybe you're running late to go see a movie. You're trying to get a car park, you're at Northland, you can never get a car park at Northland. Driving around, you're worried that you're going to miss the, the previews. Then someone gets in their car and drives off, leaving you the perfect car park. It's a good thing he left. Or maybe there's a difficult co-worker who never pulls his weight slows the team down, he makes excuses all the time, and then one day he's simply not there. He's quit his job and found a new one. And the team look at each other and say, it's a good thing he left. These all make sense, but it doesn't seem to make sense when it comes to Jesus. In John chapters 13 to 17, Jesus is sharing his last meal with his disciples before he leaves them. He's preparing them for his departure. And this just doesn't make sense to his friends. You know, they thought that the mission was finally gaining some momentum. Yeah, here it is. Let's get on with it. At the end of last week's passage in John 16, verse 6, Jesus says to them, you are filled with grief 
because I've said these things. Yet one day they will say, it's a good thing he left. Now that might seem hard to imagine, which is why our passage for today is so important. John chapter 16, verses 7 to 15, explain why it's a good thing that Jesus left. And we see it right up front. If you've got a Bible open, have a look at verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You might think that Jesus leaving the earth was a terrible strategy, which undermined his mission. However, it was actually a genius move that ensured his mission would continue on a much greater scale. It also ensured his mission would be confirmed to people all over the world, down throughout the ages. And this was all accomplished by the Advocate, who we also know as the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not often that we have a sermon focused on the Holy Spirit, so I'm excited about what we're going to explore today. Jesus mentions two roles for the Spirit that he would take on when he arrived, and these actually help us to know better the truth about Jesus. You can see in verse 8, Jesus says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, before we unpack these, these ideas, I want us to consider the following statement. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to continue and confirm the mission of Jesus. It's the next point in our outline. Now, I know that's a, a bit of a mouthful, that statement. Uh, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to continue and confirm the mission of Jesus. But there are a few concepts I wanted to pack in there so that we could think about them and develop a bit of a framework as we go forward today. And the first is that both the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen. I'll just make sure I've got the slides. It'd help if I turned it on, wouldn't it? There we go. Excellent. Okay, now you can see the verses on the slide there. Uh, John 14, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Then in John 15, verse 26, we read this. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, all throughout John's book, we hear that Jesus was sent from heaven into the world by the Father. And so it's fitting that someone else would be sent in his place. So the Father sends the Spirit to show that he is the equal to Jesus and he has come from the same place. Yet at the same time, the Son will also send the Spirit. And so this shows that he is the one chosen to continue Jesus' work. And I think that's backed up by the verses at the end of our passage today. Have a look at verses 13, 14 and 15. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That might seem a bit tricky, but 
what we're reading about here is the Trinity. God is one being, yet he exists in a tri-unity, a trinity. Three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all one God, yet they are three distinct persons. And it's important that we recognise that the Spirit is a person. When I was a younger Christian, I would sometimes refer to the Spirit as it, because I had a sense that the Spirit was a force, you know, like gravity or the wind. However, the Bible makes it clear that the Spirit is a person. He is personal. He can have relationships. He can be grieved. He's referred to uh, in, the, in the Bible with uh, masculine pronouns, not because he's a boy, but because he's a person. That's what's trying to be conveyed by that. Now, it's an easy slip up to make, but I encourage you all to work hard on referring to the Spirit as a he, not as an it. Also, he's an equal member of the Trinity. All three persons are equal in power and holiness and majesty, yet they have freely chosen to take on different roles in enacting their plan in the world. The Father is the one who sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son is physically born into the world as the human Jesus and he obeys the Father's will. And the Spirit comes invisibly and dwells in the hearts of believers. Part of the Spirit's role is that he points away from himself to the Son so that the Son might be glorified. And so he just simply receives from Jesus and makes it known to us. He doesn't add anything to Jesus' ministry. Rather, he brings the benefits of that ministry to us personally. You might know from elsewhere in John's book, in John's Gospel, that the Spirit brings us life by causing us to be born again. He applies Jesus' saving work to us. He dwells in us so that we can remain connected to Jesus and live spiritually fruitful lives. But there's a slightly different focus in this passage today. The Holy Spirit continues and confirms the mission of Jesus. And understand that we first need to think about the title that he's given here, Advocate. The Greek word for this is paraclete. It's actually a bit of a technical term. It can mean counsellor or helper, seen in chapter 14, verse 16, where it's said that he will help Jesus' disciples. Yet you can also have a legal sense, such as a lawyer or a legal assistant, and it seems that in our passage today he takes on the role of a prosecutor. He continues the mission of Jesus by showing the world that it has misunderstood God and needs to be restored to God. Yet he also confirms the mission of Jesus by enabling the apostles to remember the truths that Jesus taught them, to understand the gospel. He also works to awaken individuals to the truth about Jesus and the gospel so they can be converted. So we're going to look at these separately, starting with verses 8 to 11. We're going to see that he will prove the world wrong about Jesus. It's the next point in our outline. So let's have a look again at verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That word prove is not just about demonstrating. It also carries a sense of uh, convicting or convincing the world will come to realise that it's actually wrong about these matters. 
And this is part of the legal work of the advocate. And then take a look at the three verses that follow. In each one, Jesus explains why the world needs to be proven wrong, needs to be properly instructed. And each one is connected to Jesus and his ministry. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Spirit continues the mission of Jesus by helping people to see that they've misunderstood God and Jesus. Jesus came to the world to bring light into the darkness. We're in darkness and we can't see the truth, though we claim to see fine. We have our own broken and deficient views about who God is, what a good life looks like, and what will happen after we die. We determine what is right and what is wrong and how to fix our failings and how to secure forgiveness. We think we know the answers, or if we don't know the answers, we might say, well, they're unknowable, and so just do the best that you can. Well, the advocate comes to prove us wrong. And he does so by showing us it's because we get Jesus wrong. Jesus came into the world to show us that God is real, that God is our creator. But we fall short of God's standards and we resist him, we ignore him. We're going to face judgment because of our failings and nothing we can do will stop that. But Jesus has the solution. See, he willingly went to the cross and he faced God's judgment. Jesus paid the price for our failings so that we can be forgiven, we can be set free. How generous is that? And to prove this this was true, Jesus was raised up to new life and glorified. And so all who repent and believe will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message that Christians believe. This is the good news. And one way or another, the Holy Spirit will prove it to every human. So let's look at these verses one at a time and you'll see them in your outline. Verse 9. The advocate will prove the world wrong about sin because people do not believe in Jesus. I mean, think about it. The Jews claimed that Jesus was a sinner because, well, he ate with sinners and tax collectors. He healed people on the Sabbath day of rest. He claimed to be equal with God. Yet Jesus was not a sinner. Rather, we are the sinners. And so we need to believe in him. The Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin because... Well, if every single human being truly understood their state before God, they would believe in Jesus. They would take hold of the gospel and be forgiven of their sins, of their wrongdoings. So unbelief towards Jesus is proof that people are wrong about sin. Verse 10. The advocate will prove the world wrong about righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father. This is a tricky one, this one. So let's think about what does it mean to be righteous? It's not just about being good. It's about being in a right relationship with God and having met the requirements for that right relationship. It's not just about doing good, but having unity and peace with God, being in fellowship with him. And so the Jews claimed that Jesus was unrighteous and that rather than being the son of the father, they said he was a blasphemer who deserved to die. Yet Jesus showed them wrong because after his death and resurrection, he went to be with his father in heaven 
And he could not have done that if he was not considered righteous, if he was not right with God. Jesus was not unrighteous. Rather, he's been accepted by the Father, discrediting our views on righteousness. The Spirit will prove the world wrong about righteousness. Perhaps we think righteousness is unimportant. Perhaps we think we know how to make ourselves right with God through our own efforts or spiritual enlightenment. Yet, Jesus is in heaven and we're not, so we need to make sure we listen to him. And finally, in verse 11, the advocate will prove the world wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Just in case you're not sure, Jesus is referring here to Satan. The Jews believed that Jesus should be condemned as a treasonous blasphemer who wanted to lead them in rebellion against God. Yet Jesus did not deserve to be condemned. Rather, we stand condemned along with Satan. This is proven by the fact that Satan himself was defeated at the cross. Think about it this way. When Jesus paid for the sins of the world, Satan lost his leverage to condemn anyone who believes in Jesus. We've been forgiven, so Satan can't come in and whisper in our ears and tell us that we're not good enough, that we're guilty, that God hates us. Jesus has dealt with that. And so Satan has already been defeated. He's been shown up to be the liar he is. And so according to Jesus' own words, earlier in John, there are only two fathers and we belong to one or the other. Either Satan, who's the father of lies, or God, who's the father of all who believe in Jesus. Now, I appreciate that people might scoff at the idea of judgment, believing that when we die, that's the end. That's certainly what I believe for many years. Or perhaps people might think that you know, judgment is real, but it's you know, for our enemies, for those people who deserve to be brought to justice, but, but not, not for us. But the truth is, judgment is real, judgment is coming, and we will all be judged unless we believe in Jesus, who has gone to the Father after defeating the prince of this world. The Spirit in his role as advocate has the task of proving or convicting the world to be wrong. He's doing this work even now, but not everyone will come to a conscious realisation and respond positively to the Spirit. In fact, John 14, verse 17, Jesus says this of the Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I think the simplest way to hold this verse together with what Jesus is saying in our passage is that on the final day of judgment, there were many people who realised that, well, the Spirit had been convicting them of their error. No one will be without excuse. And this might be through subtle moments across their life where their conscience was pricked, but then they suppressed it, or through encountering the words and deeds of Christians that pointed to Jesus, but they ignored that. But for some people, the Spirit's work will become obvious to them when he brings them into the light and they are born again. Let me put it this way, and you can see it on your outline. Conversion involves an experience of the Spirit's convicting work so that you admit that you are wrong. Now, Jesus doesn't actually explain in this passage how anyone can have a positive experience of the Spirit's work, but clearly that happens. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a church and none of us would be here. 
And I think it does actually provide a test for whether you actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Have you ever wondered that? You're a Christian and have you ever wondered, how do I know whether the Holy Spirit has come to reside in me as Jesus promised? Well, if you think rightly about Jesus, then it's a pretty good sign you have the Spirit. You will agree that the world's understanding of sin and righteousness and judgment is wrong. You will agree that Jesus is the only hope you have. You will find yourself comforted and strengthened in the face of the world's disagreement. The Holy Spirit confirms the gospel in our hearts. And if you're here today and you're you're unsure about these matters, they seem a bit weird to you, it don't quite make sense, well then maybe you could pray to God and ask him to send his spirit so you can know the truth. In fact, speaking of the truth, that leads us to the second role of the advocate. It's the next main point in our outline. He will guide the apostles into all the truth about Jesus. And this is about confirming Jesus' mission. (coughs) Please have a look at verses 12 and 13 with me. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. No doubt Jesus wanted to share more details with his friends about what was about to happen, his his arrest and his execution and his resurrection. He would have wanted to explain what it would mean for them and how their lives would change. But he knew that they were unable to bear it at this time. But thankfully the Holy Spirit would later come and help them to understand all that they needed. We can sum it up like this. The Spirit empowered them, that's the apostles, to teach about Jesus and create written records. So the Spirit would come and guide the apostles into all the truth. That's a defined set of truths rather than just kind of the truth about everything in the universe. It's the truth about God that's been revealed, which relates to salvation and godly living. In other words, it's about them understanding the gospel in its fullness. And we see this actually occurred on the day of Pentecost. It's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 50 days after Jesus died, not long after he ascended into heaven permanently, the disciples were gathered in a room. You know the story. Suddenly a great wind came and tongues of fire rested upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And they burst out into the streets of Jerusalem, proclaiming the works of God. And then Peter gets up and he makes this amazing speech about Jesus and at the end of it, 3,000 people become Christians. Peter's speech really is amazing because he shows insight and clarity on what Jesus had come to do. You know, he's no longer the, the passionate, well-meaning Peter who keeps getting things wrong. He's now the spirit-empowered Peter who finally gets it. And that was true of all of the apostles. These men who scattered and ran away when Jesus was arrested, well, here they are now boldly, clearly preaching the good news about Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, who rose to everlasting life, and now who reigns in glory over the entire world. This power was also seen in their written records. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he wrote the book that we're studying. 
And the Spirit enabled him to record what he had seen and to put it together in a coherent way so that we, his readers, can comprehend Jesus. In fact, the four Gospels or biographies about Jesus show how he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, how he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God, how he was a perfect man who offered his life as a perfect sacrifice. And what of that phrase at the end of verse 13? He will tell you what is yet to come. Well, some take this as an ongoing work of the Spirit who might help Christians even today to predict or know about future events, you know, like prophecy. However, we've got to remember that Jesus is speaking to the apostles now, not to all believers. And so perhaps it's about information that they received about the future, you know, like when John wrote the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. Or more likely, it's that they will know and understand the details of Jesus' death and resurrection and their implications. I mean, from their perspective, that's the event that's yet to come, right? In which the Holy Spirit helped them to understand. Now, all other truth is useful and interesting, but comes in second after the gospel. And this second work of the Holy Spirit is so important. He guided the apostles into all the truth about Jesus. And so that means two truths for us today. You'll see them in your outline. The first is that we can be confident that the Bible is true and complete. It's true because the apostles had help. I was actually chatting to someone in my gospel community this week who's been reading Andre Agassiz's autobiography. Uh, he's enjoyed reading about Agassiz's perspective on a tennis match because then he could go watch it online and see it play out after reading about it. And, and as we we're talking about this, I kind of said, oh, well, that would make it pretty hard to make, you know, I guess he would have to make sure that he got all the facts right because it's easier to fact check it, right? Because anyone can go and rewatch the match. But we don't have to be worried about fact checking for the Gospels because, well, the Holy Spirit has helped the authors to remember and record the facts truthfully. You know, to remember conversations and events, but he also revealed hidden details to them, like, Maybe what Jesus was thinking or what was said in a private conversation they weren't part of. Funnily enough, I was reading an article today on the ABC News app, maybe you saw it, about a, a ghost writer named J.R. Moringer. I don't know if I've said that right. Um, and it turns out he actually helped Agassiz write his autobiography and he did the same for Prince Harry's recent book, Spare. Now, ghost writing is very common in this industry. Maybe you haven't heard of it before, but, you know, people want to write about their lives, but it needs to be written in a way that we can actually comprehend and enjoy and want to keep reading, and so a ghostwriter will help them do that. And what I appreciate about the article was how these writers, they work hard on understanding the voice of the autobiographer, because they try to empower the person to tell their own story in their own words, because otherwise it would be a biography, wouldn't it? Not an autobiography. Now, I do have a point here. There's a parallel, I think, to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were four distinct men with distinct personalities. And the Holy Spirit helped them to record the life of Jesus in a way that he kind of acted as a ghostwriter. He, he's there helping them. And this explains their incredible unity. You know, they, they teach the same Jesus. Yet he didn't do it in a way that overwhelmed their personalities, which 
explains why we do find some differences. Uh, We can even see differences in style across the four books. Now, I'm excited about this, maybe you're not, but as we look at the differences between them, you start to notice how the authors are actually not all the same. Uh, Matthew, for example, he he prefers to use the phrase the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed that? Even when he's telling the exact same story that Mark or Luke may have recounted, he will change the kingdom of God to the kingdom of heaven. That's his style. Uh, Mark, his account is short and fast-paced, which is often why we encourage people to start with Mark. It's easier to read. And one of his favourite words is immediately. Jesus immediately got in the boat and then immediately a crowd came over and Jesus immediately did this. It's like everyone's just running to the next event. And then Luke, he likes to use technical or medical language at various points, revealing his expertise as a doctor. Matthew and Mark might just say this person was sick, but Luke will actually give more information because he's diagnosing what's wrong with someone that Jesus is about to heal. And the one I love the most is that John uses the simplest vocabulary, yet expresses deeply profound ideas. And the Holy Spirit... He helped the rest of the authors of the New Testament as well. Each of those authors was either an apostle or had direct access to an apostle. The spirit of truth has so worked as to give us confidence that the Bible is true. That's not to say we won't find it hard to understand at times. Of course we will. And we might come across what we perceive to be mistakes or contradictions, but there are answers for these. We can also be sure that the Bible is complete. It doesn't contain everything the apostles knew. You might know at the end of John's book he says, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't include in here because I couldn't fit it all in. But it does have all the truth that we need to know. And so that brings us to the second truth that flows out of the Holy Spirit's work in and through the apostles. His work today is about pointing us to the truth of Jesus, not adding to it. I'm actually not going to unpack this now because of time, uh, but do speak to me later if you've got questions. The simple idea is that since the Spirit's work is to help us to know and love Jesus, we shouldn't expect him to give us special knowledge or secret insight into the future. He's already ensured that the truth has been recorded and he wants to point us to the truth in the Bible and help us to live in line with it. So let me sum up. It's a good thing that Jesus left because it meant he could send his Holy Spirit. That meant that the mission would no longer be centred on one person in one place but could actually go global. And the Spirit has served powerfully ever since as the advocate who proves and convicts the world to be wrong about Jesus, which is what actually enables people to become followers of Jesus. And the Spirit also serves as the Spirit of truth who led the apostles into all the truth so they could be faithful witnesses of Jesus. That's why we can have the books of the New Testament and we can have a complete Bible. So in other words, the Holy Spirit convicts the world and preserves the apostles' witness so we can know the truth about Jesus. Both of these are for our benefit, so that we can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in this world, restoring us to yourself. 
We thank you particularly today for the work of the Spirit as he works in our hearts and minds, as he's done so in past believers, so that we can be clear on who Jesus is, we can be united around the gospel. And so I pray that you would help each one of us here to know the Spirit's presence and to better look clearly and see Jesus. Amen.